The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. I'm so happy that all of you have tuned in to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. That's because for the first time ever, we're doing an all-call-in show. Um, we know you have questions, we know we have answers, so we figured it'd be great to kick off summer by sharing questions and answers today. Um, joining me today, because we are always better as a team, are my college coach colleagues, Sally Ganga and Beth feinberg Keenan. Hi, hi guys, how you doing? Hi, hey, doing how, well. are how are you? <laughs> good, good. Uh, so our challenge today is, of course, going to be to um, field the questions, not talk over each other. We do know that we we're good, we have two Beths on the air, um, and but Beth Feinberg Keenan is going to handle all the finance stuff, so that piece is going to be easy. Um, both Sally and Beth have shared their expertise on the show before, and I'm really excited to have them back. And just for background for everyone who's listening in, Sally's a former senior admissions officer at the University of Chicago, uh, also at her alma mater, Reed College, and at Whittier College, and she was a college counselor at two independent schools in Los Angeles. Um, Beth has spent her entire professional career in financial aid, starting at Leslie University and spending over a decade at Northeastern, and she's also an active member of the Massachusetts Association of Student Financial Aid Administrators, so you know they know what they're talking about, and you might know if you've read my bio that I'm uh, a former senior admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, so collectively, I think we hopefully have a lot that we can share today. Um, so with that, I think we have a couple of people on hold. And um, why don't we start, because it's the day of Beth's, um, with Beth, uh, a caller, and we'll have three Beths on air. <laughs> Hi, this is uh, Beth Pack. Hi, Beth. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. So how can we help? Lay your questions on us and we'll do our best. Okay. Uh, just for a little bit of context, um, my daughter is going into her junior year of high school in Santa Monica, California. She goes to a public high school. Okay. And um, we're just starting to get organized now. And um, my first question um, which would be of interest to a lot of people, is I'd like to know how many colleges she should apply to and what's the correct balance of colleges that would, say, be her dream college, ones that might not be her dream but a little bit of a stretch, and, and then also the just right and likely to get in. Like, which, how many overall and how many of each of those categories? Okay. And that's, just those as a are some, fo- yep. follow up to that, um, I, I, 
it, in my view, I, it's easy to figure out what the stretches and the dream colleges are, but it's not as easy for me and her to figure out what are the just right schools and those that she's likely to get in. So um, I want to know about that and how you go about this so you don't, you don't sell yourself short. Gotcha. Okay. Well, Sally, do you want to take that first question? Yeah, I mean, I'll start with the easy part, I think, <laughs> because how many should she <laughs> okay. apply to? Um, so, I mean, basically, here at College Coach, we recommend seven, and that's something that I really endorse because I think it allows you to get a good balance. I mean, in general, we recommend at least um, two challenging schools or stretch schools, you know, and, and your dream school might be included in that, you know, or the schools that you're thinking of as dream schools. And then maybe three just right schools. Those are sort of the mid-range schools. We define them um, as schools where you have better than 50% chance of getting into it, but you're not, it's not a sure thing. Um, and then the no problem schools are what a lot of people call safety schools. And um, at, at College Coach, we're really defining those as schools where you've got a 90% or better um, chance of getting in. Chance of getting in. Now, I do want to stress that seven may seem unrealistic if your daughter is applying to colleges that are is applying to some schools that are very hard to get into. Like if she's looking at the Ivies, if she's looking at some of the, you know, the highly selective small liberal arts colleges or some of um, some of the really selective, um, you know, large universities like UCLA and UC Berkeley. So often students will actually apply to more um, if they're applying to some of those schools. You know, instead of maybe having two in the challenging category, maybe you'll have even five. And I can tell you that an organized, hardworking student um, can maybe apply to up to 11 colleges or 12 colleges in my experience and handle them well and do a good job. Um, but more than that, and I generally speaking, see the quality of the applications go down and they don't do better in the process in most cases. So that's, that's yeah. kind of my general recommendation, like 7 to 12, and hopefully that gives you a sense of the balance. And I'm going to punt to best, see what you say about the harder part, which is how do you make uh-huh. sure you're not underselling when, uh, while you're still having those good, just right and no problem schools. Absolutely. Well, right. I want to second what Sally was saying. And I think the key of, of a great list is balance and making sure that you have at least three and ideally four or five of those match schools where you have a better than 50% chance of getting in because that's often where your choices are going to come from. And then we recommend at least two safeties um, because we want you to make sure that you're going to have options uh, when when all the dust settles and the, and the responses come back. In terms of figuring out you know, how do you not sell yourself short? How do you have, because of course, one person's reach is another person's safety. That's just the reality of the way that this process works. Um, and so everyone's list should look fairly different because people have different accomplishments and different goals and different things that they're striving to do. Um, there are a few basic ways that you can think about how do you make sure that you have a balanced list. And and one tool that's available at a lot of different schools, and Beth, I'm curious if you know if this is available at your daughter's school, is something called Naviance. Have you been introduced to that at the high school? Yes, we have it in the college center. Um, okay. The only aspect of it that I'm familiar with right now is um, my daughter has been asked to input some of her accomplishments, you know, as she progresses through school and she, you know, she updates it every so often. So that's the only aspect of it that I'm familiar with right now. I don't know what other, what other things that it offers, but 
So okay. I guess I'm vaguely familiar with it. <laughs> that, <laughs> that works. Um, and given the point that your daughter is in high school, that doesn't surprise me because um, generally speaking, it doesn't become useful in this way until the junior year when the student has some testing that gets input. So one thing that, so Naviance, for those of you who are not familiar with it at all, Naviance is a program that's available at a lot of high schools, not every high school, but at a lot of high schools. And what Naviance does uh, is it can take data from years past and look at students from the perspective of their grades and their test scores and um, give you a, a pretty good estimation. We'll show you where students with similar grades and test scores to yours or with lower grades and test scores or higher grades and test scores, how they've fared at different schools. So if you are looking, they have scattergrams. And when you're looking at a scattergram, um, you could see where you fall in relation to everybody else. And if everybody else with your or with your daughter's similar grades and test scores has gotten in in the past, then that's probably a pretty good sign that that might be a safety option for her. If um, other students, it's kind of 50-50, some get in, some don't, well, that might be an indication that it's uh, a match or maybe a high, uh, a high match, low reach, depending on, you know, if more of the students look to have gotten in with your daughter's profile, then it's probably a really solid match. If, if some have gotten in, but not all, and it probably skews more to the not getting in, then it's probably more of a low reach. And then if, you know, maybe one or two outliers um, with your daughter's profile have gotten into some schools, but for the vast majority have not, then that's a good sign that it's probably a reach school. Um, I have encountered that not all schools turn that scattergram feature on, which I think is really a little crazy, but sometimes in a really small school environment, it might be really easy to figure out who applied where, or um, they just feel there's not enough data to use the scattergram. So that's one piece. Uh, like I said, usually that comes into play once the student has some type of standardized testing. So maybe it's PSAT scores, maybe it's an ACT score, maybe an SAT score. Um, and the longer, the more information you have to input, the more uh, accurate the information is going to be. So even if you had a PSAT score in December of junior year, you're going to know more after the third quarter grades are in or after an actual SAT or an actual ACT, um, then it's going to become a little more accurate. Some other sources that you can use uh, is, are, well, the guidance counselor who might be able to make some recommendations about places to get started thinking. Um, this kind of gets into a whole other list of things you want to be thinking about in terms of what your daughter wants to study, what kind of environment she wants to be in, what kind of a size school she's interested in. And we actually have done a number of different segments related to that that are available in our archives. But if she knows what she wants to do, another great resource is actually the college board has, um, Sally, is that called big data? Is that what they call that section of the college board? I think it's called big Future. Big, big future. future. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I go there for data, so I think of it as being big data. But um, when you're on there, it does give you a sense of the acceptance rate of the school, the average GPA, um, average test scores, which will tell you a little bit. It won't tell you the whole story. So as a general rule of thumb, if a school is admitting less than half of its applicant pool, uh, it's generally not going to be enough just to be in range. You're going to want to be on the high end of the range or even above the middle 50%, depending on how selective the school is. Um, 
And you have to understand that sometimes what's published as the average GPA isn't always reality, which is where we come back to Naviance and how students at your daughter's high school have done at those schools. So Mm -hmm. I would say that that piece of the puzzle evolves over time. And Sally, I don't know if you'd add anything else there. I feel like it's such a big question. It's it's almost hard to tackle Mm -hmm. every element of it um, in one answer. I mean, I... I mean, I think that um, I think that College Board is a good place to start, just in terms of because you're, you know, since your daughter's just entering eleventh grade, you can't really parse it finely yet. Because as Beth said, you need those test scores and you need her grades from eleventh grade. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, like, let's say you're going to visit some colleges this summer, right? Which ha- which happens. I think going to the College Board is a great place to look, and maybe just making sure that you don't just visit the Ivies or the most selective schools. Maybe do a search and make sure you visit some schools that you know are still selective. Um, if your daughter's a strong student, but maybe not, you know, at admitting ten percent or, or or even only twenty five percent. Maybe mm-hmm. you know some schools that admit closer to fifty percent or something, depending upon you know how strong of a student your daughter actually is. But I think mm-hmm. that the College Board is a great place to start, and that's actually where I usually send people for that. Well, she she does happen to be a very strong student um, with a a hard course load. Um, but frankly, she goes to a very large school, and certainly there are many kids from her school that would be in that that category. And I, I know that there are kids from all over the country, or in, even internationally, they're also very strong students. So that kind of brings me to my my follow up. If, if if it's okay, if I can bring up a follow up, which is that sure. How does the, the whole aspect of distinguishing herself, you know, from just be, from being more than just a strong student with good test scores? Um, she happens to be very interested in um, performing arts and music. She she has you know great ability in those areas, but she's she's not going to be applying to be a music major or applying to either a theater or music conservatory. But she would like to leverage those abilities to make herself stand out and be a more appealing candidate to some of these schools. So I was kind of wondering um, how does one in the process sort of leverage those abilities? And, and, you know, for other kids it might be sports. And, you know, I know that they do sports recruiting. But for let's say for uh, someone who's going to major in liberal arts who also has strengths in performing arts and music, how would they leverage those abilities to make them, um, you know, be a more right, appealing candidate. Does, does that make sure. sense? Yeah, no, absolutely, it does. Um, well, there's a section on, on just about every application and certainly on the common application and in the University of California application where students are going to be indicating the things that they've been involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, another way, so that's one way in which you help colleges understand you know, what she's been doing. And and that actually is a primary way in which students stand out from one another, what they're devoting their time to outside of the classroom. Because Mm -hmm. at the more selective levels, when you've got lots of kids with great grades and test scores, as you alluded to, just even in her high school, um, it's the what else that really does help students stand out. So it's, you know, those are going to be featured there. Um, It might be that if that's a major focus for her, uh, it doesn't really matter that she's not planning to major in it. Um, There are plenty of things that students do that aren't going to 
be their academic focus when they get to college, um, but that that doesn't make them not interesting or um, make them irrelevant to the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she might want to write an essay about her involvement in that. That might be something that, if she's passionate about it, uh, might make for a good essay topic. Um, there are schools where you can submit um, samples of your music ability. So I'm not if she's a singer, she could um, record something and upload it. There are places on applications where you can um, share that kind of stuff. And because a lot of colleges read online these days, it's even easier for them to listen or watch something, although you want to keep it pretty brief because they're not going to give you a ton of time for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are all different ways in which you can leverage that. And, and again, Sally, I don't know if I'm missing something here that you would add. I mean, this is becoming less and less relevant as schools have more applicants, but the interview, um, if, there, if she is applying to schools that still interview, which not all of them do, but a lot of them still do, um, she can certainly bring that kind of thing up because the interview is really going to be a time to talk about things that maybe there wasn't room for on the application. So, um, But I think the essays are a, are a great place to do it, although you don't have to do it there. And actually with the UC application, they even ask students to talk about a personal talent, a personal quality or talent that is important to you. So for the UC, I mean, they directly want to hear about something like that, and it mm-hmm. will make a difference uh, without a doubt. The other thing that I would mention, and this, this um, as a former high school counselor, um, I mean, I used to pretty aggressively get information from students and parents. You know, I had them do brag sheets. I mean, I really got information from them. Um, But I was also very, very lucky. I worked at a small school, so I could also check that information out with teachers and things like that. That being said, I started recommending that... um, that my students kind of maybe even do a brag sheet and maybe, or a resume, you know, maybe just a resume and give it to the high school counselor, whoever's going to be writing their recommendation. Mm -hmm. Now you want to be careful. You don't want to say, please write about these things because that's annoying. And you're going to want to like, I can just tell you that when somebody tried to tell me what to put in my letter of recommendation, I was not pleased about that. But Mm -hmm. when students came to me and said, I thought this might be helpful for you, I did it for my application and I thought it might be useful for you, I was like, oh, thank you. That's great. And I would read it. So Mm -hmm. that might be something else. And and that's relevant because um, other than at the University of California schools, the, the council recommendation is huge. And, you know, so some kind of a brag sheet or resume which it sounds like they're already having her do, that's, you know, those kinds of things can potentially be highlighted there as well. Okay. Now, stepping that's, back for a moment, going back to my okay. original question, um, how, how do you identify schools, you know, we're, we're identifying the mix of schools, how would you identify schools that have sort of a vibrant music theater community, you know, where, that she can participate in but not necessarily major in? So are, are there, I imagine there are resources to figure that out. You know, yeah, maybe. Un- unfortunately we have to go to the break, but what I would say just quickly on that is okay. that you can Google it um, for sure. You could just Google uh, musical theater programs, uh, universities with musical theater programs, and um, often they'll let you know if you need to be a major to be part of that, but just having a good program could be a good start. Um, So that's a recommendation that I would have. And there are a lot of different resources out there for students um, interested in a variety of different things. So 
Google it can be your friend in this in this situation, and that's a place okay. that I would start anyway. Yeah, now, thank okay. you so much for calling in. Uh, Sally, did you have something quickly to add? It well, like you- I just wanted to say that there are also guides for schools with good performing arts, and that mm-hmm. might be a place to start. Again, you, you need to make sure that they're open to all students, not just the majors, mm-hmm. but that might be a place to start as a guide like that. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Beth, thank you so much. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, but we're going to be right back to uh, other calls in just a moment. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, we're back. We're ready to welcome our next caller. We have someone on the line, Cindy to be specific, who's calling us from Florida. Welcome, Cindy. Hi, guys. Can you hear me okay? We can. Thank you so much for calling. And how can we help? All right. I have um, two questions regarding testing. Um, my daughter is also going into her junior year, and we took, I've been listening to your show since the beginning, and um, we took your advice and had her kind of do a practice ACT and a practice SAT to see where she did better. Um, Great. She definitely did better in the ACT, so she's going to spend her summer um, you know, preparing for that, and then our goal will be to take it early in the fall, because I think you guys had said, you know, try to get it over with early, then she could, because the, the junior year load is going to be pretty hard where she is. Mm-hmm. Um, but my question is, if she takes it in the fall and gets a, a score that puts her in line with, with the colleges she's looking at, um, are we then done, or do colleges like to see more than one attempt on those standardized tests? Sally, you want to take that one? Sure. Um, I mean, this this is a little complex. On the one hand, I almost want to say I, I'd like to be able to say she's done. But in all honesty, test scores, even if they put her in line for admission, for example, if you're if you're hoping for a scholarship, um, higher test scores are really going to be helpful there. 
Um, so often there is going to be a reason to take it again. What I typically do is I tell students, you're, you're great, you've got this amazing baseline, um, but I'm going to have you take it one more time in case your scores go up, but you don't need to stress about it. You just need to do a little review and not stress. And, and it's kind of surprising how often I actually see student scores go up in that situation. I want to mention, too, that it's not just for scholarships that you want to take it again. Every once in a while, colleges will become much more selective. I mean, Northeastern has been kind of a classic example in recent years. Um, University of Michigan is another one where test scores that in the past might have gotten you in, you know, they might have, they have a jump of, uh, you know, 20%. Um, in number of applications, and suddenly those that extra hundred points that maybe your, you know, your child could get would be very very useful. So unfortunately, I can't. I wish I could just say, take it, you're done, you're done. But unless it reaches sort of above seven fifties, that's not something I usually tell students. Or right, it's or, the ACT, okay. so I'd say thirty four, thirty five. Yeah. But and just so, to answer this, the other piece though too, and Sally, I'm sorry if I'm jumping in and you were going to say this. It isn't that colleges like to see students taking it more than once, so you're not doing it because colleges like to see students taking the tests a bunch of times. You're doing it because that higher score could really put you in a better position to get in or put your daughter in a better position to get in. I just wanted to clarify that one piece. And yeah, oh, absolutely. And again, I, sorry, I say in the spring, and then for some reason it goes down, the colleges, they're going to give her the benefit and look at that higher score, right? Yes. Yeah. Colleges yeah, the, the, I always tell students you can't go down from your highs. Um, not all schools mix and match, but if she's got two composite scores on the ACT and one is higher than the other, the colleges are going to take the higher one. They always do. So, yes, it's there's no real downside to taking the test a second time. Okay. And then my other one is quick. Her high school has all the kids. They pay for them to take the SAT at school um, spring of junior year. So I'm assuming it's okay for her to go into that unprepared because colleges will only see it if we choose to have it sent to them, correct? Well, that's a tricky one. Um, so yes and no. <laughs> there are colleges that are out there that actually do require students to submit all test scores. So they have policies where they say, we want to see everything, so please send us everything. The goal of that is not to catch a student doing poorly on a test, but really to... Um, there are students out there who don't realize, who, who maybe don't have the benefit of, um, you know, maybe their guidance counselors stretched really thin because the national average is 473 students to every one guidance counselor. Um, maybe they don't realize that a lot of schools will mix and match their best scores so that they can put their best foot forward. So what, a, what some colleges, not that many, but what some colleges have done is take the guesswork out of it by simply requesting that students submit all schools scores. So if your daughter is going to apply to any of those schools, uh, they will then, you know, you want to follow the school's policy, which means that they will see those SAT scores. Is it really a problem if her ACT score is solid? No, it's really not. But it is good to be aware that it is a possibility that some of the colleges might see those SATs uh, um, that she's taking in, in the second half of junior year. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, thank you so much. That was very helpful. All right. Cindy, thanks so much for calling in. We really appreciate it. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. All right. I think we have 
another caller coming our way, and this is Jackie from Rhode Island. Hi, can you hear me? We can, yeah. Hi, Jackie. Okay, great. Um, so actually, I'm from Long Island, not Rhode Island, oh, New York. Long Island, all right. <laughs> Even yeah. better. Um, my main question is a financial one. So I know that when you go onto the college websites, they recommend you use the, the net, you know, net price calculator to kind of determine financial aid and all that. Um, if our situation has changed greatly from last year to this year, my daughter is a junior, so normally I would be, I guess, using my 2014 tax returns to do it, but 2015 is going to look very different because um, my work situation has changed. So should I be using the net price calculator and trying to adjust the numbers based on where I think we'll land for this year, or um, should I also be you know, speaking with the school's financial advisors? Beth, you want to take that one? Great. Um, thanks, Jackie. As I say, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. So the net price calculator that they have out there is, you know, is really a tool just to help families predict, you know, what your out-of-pocket, you know, expenses are going to be. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's, you know, hard and fast, you know, good rule of thumb that, you know, that's necessarily what is going to, you know, be for your family. So right. if you want to, you know, by all means, you know, run a net price calculation with what you think your numbers are going to be, Okay. That's fine. You know, that's not a problem at all, you know, to right. run that, to kind of get, a, you know, the best estimate possible that you can right. um, in order to estimate what um, the cost of the college will be for your daughter. Mm-hmm. But the other thing, too, is you, because your daughter's a junior, yeah. um, she still has another year in high school, so they're not going to be using information from 2015. They're going to be actually using information from 2016 when oh, okay. filing for financial aid because... She's going to graduate. She's scheduled to graduate in seventeen. Is that correct? So she's actually she'll graduate uh, two thousand sixteen. So oh, yes, they oh, won't so she's use two thousand fourteen. She'll be rising two thousand sixteen. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. So she'll be a senior next year. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry about that. I was thinking that she's just starting her junior year this coming year. No, that's okay. Yeah, she. I'm sorry. She just finished being a junior. Yeah. Okay, so she's a rising senior. So then you're right. So they are going to be using um, information from 2015. Right. Um, so, yeah, so I don't think it's a bad thing to, to run that net price calculator. The other tool that I also like in order to get an idea of what you're going to be expected to pay for a year of college is on the College Board website. Mm-hmm. They have a tool called Expected Family Contribution Calculator. Okay. And, again, it's another tool that you can use to – you know, kind of estimate what colleges are going to think that you're going to be able to pay for one year of college. Okay. And inputting information, again, using your best estimates for 2015. Okay. Because, again, that's what colleges are going to be using. Okay. When, um, when calculating uh, what, you know, what type of aids need-based financial aid. Now, the other okay. thing, too, with the net price calculator and that online calculator on the College Board website, keep in mind that most colleges are only estimating need-based financial assistance. And so colleges are not required to estimate what type of scholarships that your daughter might be eligible for. So many oh, colleges okay. don't have that built into their net price calculators. Oh, okay. So when you're filling these out, it's going to tell you what type of need-based assistance that she's going to get, but not ty- what type of she's eligible for you know, X scholarship, a dean scholarship, a presidential scholarship, whichever scholarship okay. they have at their campuses. So if that's information that you're trying to obtain from the different colleges, yeah. then that's if 
some colleges on their websites have really good guidelines in terms of, you know, GPA, standardized yeah, I know this. requirements. But most scholarships that schools offer out, if they're pure um, academic scholarships or, you know, um, non-need-based financial assistance, they don't take the family's ability to pay right. into consideration when they're awarding those scholarships to students. Okay. So if you can't find that information in terms of what type of GPA, what type of standardized test score, if this mm-hmm. major specific, on the college's websites when maybe you're doing a college visit, if there's a college fair that you're attending, if your daughter wants to reach out to the college's admissions office uh, directly, I always think it's a good question to ask um, yep. somebody who works at the school, what was the profile of the students who were offered these scholarships in the prior year? Okay. Because that's going to give you an idea of how does your daughter compare to applicants in terms of what she brings with her and applicants who are awarded these types of scholarships in the past class that they just admitted. Perfect. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, I did have another quick question. I think it's a quick question because in the mail today, I just got this letter from the National Society of High School Scholars Mm-hmm. And they make it sound very, you know, prestigious and, you know, oh, your daughter has been selected type of thing. But I read a few reviews online, um, which kind of made it sound like, eh, it's not a scam, but it's not really worth it. And then I tried to go on Better Business Bureau, but their site isn't working. So I just wanted to know if you guys have, you know, heard of this organization and just if you have any thoughts on whether it's, um, whether it's helpful for, you know, to, to be a part of it because they, they do charge a fee for it. Yes, it's expensive. Sally, do you want to yeah. take that one? Sure. Um, yeah, it's it, they do make it look very fancy, and, and mm-hmm. um, you know, but I, I put it in the same category as I put, you know, who's who of high school students. Um, you know, they're they're charging you money for something that's not going to help you at all. But, yeah, um, okay, that's in terms I of colleges, yeah. So you did good research on that one. Yeah, it's definitely not um, not worth your money. Okay. So, yeah. But, but Perfect. It's a question thank a you. That's what it have, seems, so but actually, I, I just couldn't find enough information online, so thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, and I'm glad you asked it because actually a lot of people are very understandably taken in by it. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's like being able to get the word out that that's not something that anybody needs to pay money for, that it's not going to help with the college process. I, I think I'm glad that you asked that question. Yeah, yeah. I figured lots of others must be getting that letter today, so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lots of people for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you for calling in. We really appreciate it. And um, we hope that hope that we were helpful and um, appreciate hearing that you've been a, a, listen, a listener. So thanks yep, again. You guys are always great. Thank you. All right. Thank uh, you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. We have our next caller on the line. Um, we are getting close to the break, so we may have to answer a question and then go to the break and come back. But i um, happy to welcome Liz, not Beth, Liz in Arlington, <laughs> Virginia. Hi, Liz. Hi there. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good. I have a question. We're we're not quite picking colleges yet. I actually have a middle school aged child, and we are looking at high schools. Okay. And my question is: We live in an area where there's a lot of choices. We have you know good public schools, but we also have parochial schools and more expensive private schools. And my question is: Assuming that academic performance are similar, mm-hmm. will attending a more prestigious high school improve my child's chances of acceptance? at a more elite university. Like, I'm wondering if it's worth the cost. 
Right. Really, very good question, and you are certainly not the first person to ask it. Um, and actually, I, I sometimes used to get, when I was doing admissions, the question, well, and I still get it here at College Coach, the question about, well, you know, my child goes to a very um, prestigious public high school or a private high school, and will colleges appreciate that, and does he or she therefore have a better shot? Um, and the answer, as is often the case with admissions, is sort of no and yes. Um, from my perspective, I think the best thing to do would be to pick the school that seems the, like the right fit for your child in terms of, um, I'm sorry, do you have a daughter or a son? Well, I have a, my oldest is a son, but he's, he's the first of three. So this is okay. not, so, we'll have to make this a couple of times. Okay. Sounds good. So as you probably have, well, at least every parent that I talk to, I have one child, so I don't have this phenomenon in my home, but I do often hear from parents of multiple kids that they're all very different and they all have their own personalities. And so Mm -hmm. one of the things, you know, to think about is just what works for your son may not be appropriate for your other children. And so... Uh, some kids are going to thrive at a big public school and they're going to get really involved and they're going to take advantage of everything that's available to them and really possibly be a real high flyer in that environment. Whereas another child might really benefit from a smaller private school with more personalized attention where you don't have to fight as hard for the opportunities to be a leader or to be involved. Uh, And so from that perspective, it's really impossible to make a blanket statement about which one is better than the other. Um, I've seen lovely, wonderful public schools and great private schools, and I've seen public schools that aren't so great and private schools that aren't so great. So you can't say that, oh, definitely you always go for the private school because that's not always the case either. Uh, What I can say is that colleges evaluate students in the context of the schools that they attend. So that means they look at the student first and the school second. And when they look at the student, what they're looking at is how has this student taken advantage of the opportunities available at this school? And uh, so that's why you want to put your child in a school where they're going to be at their best and best able to take advantage of the opportunities that are there. What schools don't do is say, well, you know, an A at that um public school, or let's, let me back up, a B at that private school uh, that's really tough to get into is really like an A at the local public high school, because you really have no way of knowing. They could have gone to the public high school and gotten B's just as easily as they got the B's at the private school. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's really about um, how they're going to fare in that environment. One of the things that sometimes you do get, but not always, but that you can get at a smaller private institution is maybe more personalized attention, especially when it comes time for the college process. Uh, Often private schools are hiring former admissions officers at colleges, and, you know, they can sometimes maybe their only job is to do the college counseling piece. Whereas at a public high school, guidance counselors have a lot of different things pulling them in a lot of different directions. But at the same time, I've seen some public high schools where they do a phenomenal job of counseling students. So I can't even make a blanket statement there. Uh, But it's all about what you think as a family is the right choice for your child. And it is expensive and college is going to be expensive. And those are other pieces to weigh. Um, But I I never think that just the simple choice of one school high school is going to make or break a student's chances at the elite level. It's really going to be about what they do when they get to that school. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. 
Absolutely. You're welcome. Do you, any other questions or is that nope, it for today? that was it, but thanks. All right. Well, Liz, thank you so much. I'm uh, happy that you called in. Uh, we're going to go right. to the break, but when we get back, we're going to be welcoming some other callers. So stay tuned. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, so if you're just tuning in, uh, we're taking calls and emails and tweets from listeners uh, with their questions. And uh, right now we're going to welcome Erica Braley, who actually is a college coach, works at College Coach, is a colleague of ours. And um, she's been monitoring our email and our Twitter feed. And so she is going to share a couple of questions that have come through. Hi, Erica. Hello. How are you? I'm good, and we've gotten um, quite a few great questions in, so I'm going to jump right in and start with a um, finance question. Um, The question that came in is, if my daughter goes to an out-of-state public school, can I stop claiming her on my income taxes so she can get in-state tuition at that school? Beth, it's all you. Yeah, (laughs) thanks. (laughs) So... Um, Erica, that's a, that's a great question, and it's actually a question that we get very often, especially when families have children who are looking to go to school or public institutions specifically outside of the state that they live in, uh, thinking that, hey, you know, it's just as easy as that. I don't claim them on my taxes. Therefore, they're considered independent for financial aid purposes. And, and it would be great if it was that easy to say, sure, no problem. You know, don't claim them on your taxes, and you'll get that reduced tuition in subsequent years. But in reality, um, public colleges, um, whether it's in your state or even out of state, 
they look at the residency of both student and parent when uh, when determining residency for a student to classify them as paying in-state tuition versus out-of-state tuition. So whether you decide to claim or whether this parent decides to claim their uh, child on their taxes or not is not going to impact uh, whether the student is going to be qualified for in-state or out-of-state tuition. That student is still likely to get out-of-state tuition um, unless the parents decide to relocate uh, to that state where the student is attending college. So unfortunately, it's not as easy as that. And the family would likely have to move um, in order to also, you know, be, be considered, for the student to be considered a resident. Now, I just want to just kind of add a caveat there. Um, again, because I don't know necessarily what this family situation is, but if it's a divorced or separated family and the non-custodial parent were to live in that state where the student's going to be attending um, school, uh, some schools do have an appeal process or they'll allow the student to be considered a resident of that state if they do have one parent living in that state and making their livelihood there, um, even if it's not the custodial parent necessarily. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Beth. Erica, what else do you have for us? Um, Shifting back to the admission side, um, this next question reads, how many recommendations are good? I know my son needs two teacher recommendations and a counselor recommendation, but he's also a really good golfer, and I was thinking about a recommendation from his coach. Sally, what do you think about that one? Yeah, that's a really, that's a great question because it's a really common one. Um, A lot of people think more recommendations, you know, the more recommendations, the better. Um, And and I always counsel people to actually be very careful. Generally speaking, colleges are really going to be asking for the recommendations they want, and they don't necessarily want any more. So one... At some schools, however, they are open to maybe one or two extra recommendations. Not all, but some. And, but then you still need to think carefully, what is this recommendation going to say that the other recommendations haven't already said? So, for, so in other words, like let's think about a coach writing a recommendation. He's probably going to say, this is a great kid who works really hard. Maybe he has some leadership ability within the team. You know, these are all wonderful things, but that information will probably actually be more effective if it comes through the guidance counselor. Um, and the guidance counselor should have exposure to that if this is a coach of a high school team. Um, and I can just tell you that at University of Chicago, when I would start to see, when I would see a letter of recommendation from a coach, I honestly typically wouldn't even read it. So, because I didn't feel like I had too many rec- I had too many applications to read. I mean, honestly, I might be reading 50 applications in a day. I might be wrapping things up at 11 o'clock at night. So if I had extra sort of pieces of paper that weren't relevant, um, you know, to to sort of learning more about the student, um, you know, I just honestly I might not read that letter of recommendation. I would scour the counselor's letter. I would scour the teacher the teacher's letters. Um, but, you know, recommendations from a coach typically were not helpful. So, you know, I guess I would, I wouldn't say blanketly no, absolutely not, because maybe there are circumstances where a student has done something pretty unusual as part of a team, and that recommendation is going to say something really different. But again, if it's just, this is a great kid who has some leadership abilities, who works really hard, that's, to me, that's not enough to include an extra letter. Uh, but I'm curious what you think about this, Beth. 
you know, I think that there better be a good reason for the extra letter is really where I net out. And so in I think I kind of have this share the same opinion that you do, which is it really needs to be from someone who knows your child in a different way than the teacher and the guidance counselor said, I'm going to hear something different. And often coaches are very well equipped to talk about how a student plays on the field, but not necessarily going to add, but aren't necessarily going to add anything unique. Um, and, and I think this is also a good time to stress, which you're kind of doing, the fact that really it's great to give them what they ask for. And if you're going to give them more than they ask for, it better be something truly valuable. Otherwise, it's a waste of your time. And more importantly, it's a waste of the admissions officer time, and you don't want to waste their time if mm. you can avoid it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Erica, what else uh, do you have there? Sure. Here comes another finance question for you, Beth. The question is, can I use leftover funds from my 529 college savings plan to repay student loans? Um, Thanks, Erica. It's another great question. And a question that, again, sometimes as I say, that we get asked, you know, as um, on on some of our calls. So, the, I mean, the, the short answer is yes, you, you can use money from a 529 college savings plan to repay student loans, but, this is the big but, it's not a qualified education expense. So if you have leftover money in a 529 college savings plan and you use it to repay student loans, you're going to be subject to taxes and a 10% penalty on the earnings for any of the monies that you do use from your 529 to repay those student loans. So it's not... You know, as I say, you don't get those tax advantages that you would if you used it for the qualified education expenses. So it's so important that when you are putting your plan together and how you're going to pay for college, that maybe you don't end up taking out some of the loans that you ended up taking, you know, don't end up taking out some of the loans um, to pay for some of the college expenses to make sure that you're not in that situation of having extra money in the 529 at the end, that if you want to repay the student loans, it should be hit with taxes and penalties. Okay, great. Erica, do you, I, I understand you have a few of those, few more questions for us there. So what else? I do. Um, this next question is related to essays. Um, the parent writes, I'm thinking about my son's essay already. I know parents aren't supposed to write it, but I'm afraid he won't do a good enough job. What should I do? Haha. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to start this one and then pass it to you, Sally. How's that sound? That sounds great. So first and foremost, it's fine to be thinking about or um, about your child's essay, but uh, not in the way of what should he write about, um, more in the way of I need to help him figure out a schedule to start writing that essay. Um, I want to have push him so that he's got enough time to do multiple drafts of that essay. Uh, but I'll tell you right now that there is probably nothing worse than a parent writing a student's essay. And um, so the essay is really the place, the one place in the application where the student gets to speak for himself. And if you are speaking for him, then you're doing him a disservice. And just two years, two years ago, excuse me, two, <laughs> two weeks ago, we talked about presenting your authentic self and how important that is and how that is what's really going to resonate the most when an admissions officer is reading an application. And there's nothing less authentic than a parent writing a student's essay. So uh, what, you know, 
it's really about the best essay that your son can write. And that may not be the best essay you can write. And that's okay. Uh, he is going to wind up at the school that makes sense for him based on the work that he does, both in school, in the classroom, on his standardized tests, and on these pieces of writing that are required as part of his application. Uh, you can often spot a, a parent essay a mile away. Parents use language that students don't use. So they th- say things like, it's a win-win situation, and I was really thinking out of the box, and you see a lot of stuff like that. Uh, and it immediately tips you off to the fact that it's likely written by a parent. Uh, and... Um, Admissions officers really don't like that, as you can imagine. And the other thing is that, quite honestly, not all parents are great writers. So sometimes parents get a hold of a student's essay and they think they're improving it. And actually what they're doing is they are removing the student's voice, uh, using language that the student would never use, uh, making it too formal. When it's not, it's a formal piece of writing, but the tone shouldn't be formal. Uh, So my biggest piece of advice here is, please keep your hands off. (laughs) Uh, You can certainly talk to your son about what he's thinking about writing about. And like I said, maybe set up a schedule so that he's got enough time to write and revise. And it's not written at the last minute, which is almost always guaranteed to turn out a less than great product. But um, you really need this to be your child's work and not your work. And Mm -hmm. so I don't know what you might add there. Yeah, I mean, I I would add that... um I would completely agree with everything that you said. And I'd add that even when I've worked with, like I actually worked with this one family, both the the son and the daughter, um, of a man who was a professional writer. I mean, he was he was a writer. He, he I looked him up online and um, read some of his pieces, and he was actually quite a good writer. But when he got a hold of their essays, I think partially because he was a writer, he couldn't help but strip out all their personality from it. And yep. also, his the kind of writing he did was sort of more technical writing, kind of the sort of writing that you might find in the business journal. So I sort of go back to what you said, where he'd use language like win-win. He'd use this sort of overly formal language, and he stripped out the kind of crazy 17-year-old energy that to him was a bad thing, but it's actually what colleges are looking for. You know, I'm, I'm always telling students, we're not, when, I, when uh, back in the day when I was interviewing students, I wasn't looking for someone applying to a Fortune 500 company. I was looking for a 17-year-old, a very bright 17-year-old, a very motivated 17-year-old, but nonetheless, usually usually a 17, 18-year-old, and it's a very different personality. And even if there were errors in the essay, if the essay took some risks, if the essay was, was interesting and, like, like you said, had that authentic voice, that was always going to be better than an essay that was maybe perfectly crafted but honestly very boring. Yes, totally agree. Yeah. Hey, I want to thank you, uh, Sally and Beth, for joining me today and to everybody who called in and sent in their questions to us via email and Twitter. And thanks, Erica, for joining us and sharing those questions. Um, Before we go, I'm going to make my weekly plug for our archives where you can find information on getting started on college essays, facing that first tuition bill, uh, understanding what demonstrated interest is all about, and hint, visits are really important to some schools or the ones that care about demonstrated interest. Um, You can also download the shows for free on iTunes. That's the end of my plug there. Uh, As you may be aware, if you listen to the uh, intros to the show 
if you listen to the shows. Uh, we take callers uh, on every episode. Um, I am going to be taping the next couple of shows, but after that, when it's live, we're, we're taking callers. So we'd love for you to call us uh, anytime, not just during these shows that are devoted to uh, people calling in and asking questions. Um, I did want to let everyone know that on next week's show, we're all about getting an early start. So for starters, we're introducing the first uh, in a four-week segment, uh, a series covering everything you need to be thinking about related to college admissions for each year that you're in high school. So we're going to start where students start, and that's with ninth ninth grade. And then um, the following week, we're going to talk about 10th grade and so on. We're also going to discuss getting an early start on college finances. Uh, And finally, we'll get to part two of uh, on getting an early start on your Common App essays by exploring prompts three through five on the Common App. And don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Uh, You don't want to miss it. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Mm-hmm.